Hey potheads! Welcome to the restricted section in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths talk about Harry Potter and why we still like it, even though it's been an emotional roller coaster. It's me, your witch, Christina. Today we're getting into the second half of our movie comparison for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So if you want to press pause and watch it to refresh your memory before you get started, that's just fine. Don't forget to come back though, we'll be here waiting. If you watch it like seven times a year like I do, then you should already be prepared. Howdy do everybody, how's it going? What up? Hello. Hello, hello, hello. We are back for part two of our movie comparison for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I know you guys have really missed us. I'm sorry. We're back to finish it. We left off right after the sorting hat when Harry's gazing out his window. Yeah, so the, I realized that this is the first time Harry is experiencing a night sky. He's been perpetually locked in a cupboard with no windows. So this might be the first time he's like seeing the moon. Can you imagine? It's Can so you sad. imagine seeing the moon? <laughs> No, they definitely (laughs) let him stay up late on a winter's night at least once before. (laughs) To tend the fire and massage Petunia's feet. (laughs) I ended our last episode really beautifully by being like, he's gazing out the window thinking about how lucky he is. And Brooke's like, no, he's simply never seen the night sky before. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he's seen a night sky before, but he's never been able to just like do that thing that you do when you're a teenager and you're moody where you just like look at it and think about your life. Um, I did that yesterday. <laughs> Let's do a roll call. I'm your host, Christina, as you guys, I'm sure, know. And what I want to hear from you guys is if you could have had any role in the production of the Harry Potter films, what would you pick? And so for me, I would pick, I think Emma Watson's incredible and she was cast very well. But that being said, I would pick to be the actress portraying Hermione Granger because I think I have that right on the edge of like just like a boss bitch and like a and like a bitch you know I think I can really deliver hi I'm Brooke I want to be Susan Bones get me in give me like $400 to stand in the background and look nervous on a stool get me the fuck out of there (laughs) nice hi I'm Grace Well, okay, so I was more thinking of uh, being someone on the production team instead of an actual, Um, but I would love to be in charge of the lighting because I feel like the Harry Potter movies are really good with lighting, and I would just love to be able to get in there and figure out what the heck they're doing. Yeah, a lot of creative lighting options. We definitely pointed out in the last part, in the first part of this, Mm -hmm. the spotlight on the Sorcerer's Stone when they get to Gringotts, which is like so fucking good. I love it. I would love to make that call. Like, we need more spotlights. Hi, I'm Mike. Uh, Who would I be? I'd have to go with something unconventional like Grace, and I would actually like to do the uh, what I really liked about this movie, and there are very few things I actually liked about this movie. I know, controversial. But uh, one thing I liked was the use of CGI and real props and how they really kind of took a Jurassic Park kind of style of integration so I really would like to be on that CGI or that or that set design team because they just did such a great job, really did. The movie, as old as it is, holds up, and it's almost two decades old, which is just crazy to me. I feel like that is also controversial to say that the CGI holds up. Any more orders of business before we get into it? 
I don't think so. I think we should just jump on, jump on in. Let's jump in. So we last left Harry <laughs> in the window looking at his first night sky. So just quick before we get started, Brooke, Mike, I, I, I mean, ha- have you guys both seen the movies before or like had you had you watched them recently? Like I tend to watch them once every couple months. I tend to watch the first movie every year on my birthday um, or Beauty and That's the Beast. Cute. So it's it's one or the other usually. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm a 32-year-old male, and I've never actually seen any of the Harry Potter movies outside of a few clips or occasionally if it's on the background on what's on TV. Oh, my God. Is there a reason wow. or did you just miss it? So it's one of those. It's weird. Uh, I think if anybody remembers back from the original episodes, I uh, I didn't really take to I read Harry Potter, but I didn't really take to Harry Potter until I reread it a second time. So when the movies were coming out, like I was 14, a freshman in high school, and really it wasn't the cool it movie, believe it or not. Like the cool it movie was, so I just, I never got, I never got hyped for the movies. I got hyped for the books, but never for the movies. Okay. Well, if you're going to pick one, I'm glad you went the way you did. Okay, great. So we start off the fall term right away. Their first class is Transfiguration. Honestly, it's a good thing that we've read the books because if you were just watching the movies, what is transfiguration? They literally show up and everybody's just like scribbling and then McGonagall is a cat and a nut. I'm most concerned by the fact that clearly like if all of the professors contributed to the guarding of the Sorcerer's Stone, then McGonagall's thing appears to have been the chess set. If her like deal is transfiguration, are those people? Okay, no. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, Yes, what the fuck? Uh, Go back to the episode through the trapdoor if you would like to hear more rumination about what the fuck is transfiguration, how does one learn it, and how does one get a giant chess set out of it? (laughs) So, So that's my big beef about this whole movie, is in a lot of ways, it feels like this movie was fan service. It's just kind of like, hey, did you ever imagine what like what it actually would look like if Harry Potter attended class. Here's a quick like 30 second clip. And it it just it just felt like if you weren't tracking the books, there would be a lot of stuff that just flew by you. So I just I didn't really like it, man. I uh, it really bothered me. Okay. I encourage you to continue to like raise examples as we go on. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, we got to <laughs> You're like I don't need an invitation. When they're in Transfiguration, that's like, um, this is like a perfect example of the kind of cheeky addition to the film that I think is really good um, that can kind of sum up a whole relationship in just like a quick exchange when Ron and Harry get to Transfiguration class late. And and like, we know that McGonagall is the cat on the desk. And really, between their one shared brain cell, they maybe should have been able to figure out that like this random cat might have something to do with why their teacher's missing. And then it kind of skips to potions with um, Professor Snape coming in with the drama. Alan Rickman comes in and immediately just makes a damn meal out of his monologue. Like, yeah. And it's exactly, I can't read the books without thinking of the way that he delivers it because it's just like sulky and slimy and like weirdly dastardly. But it's like the most beautiful, like he is the most perfectly cast character. In a very well cast movie, he is the most well cast. I think that um, in the the movie, Snape's character is really whittled down from what we get in the books. So completely Alan Rickman, like Alan Rickman's performance completely saves Snape's character, I think, for the movie. 
So something I wonder, did he know more about the eventual conclusion of like the Harry Potter series? No? No. And I think you can tell in this first movie that they had no idea how important Snape would actually be. Well, I'll, I'll bring that up again at the end. So we're in potions. They have potions with the Slytherins, but I also noticed Hufflepuff extras in the background. So we're just really, I think the implication is like all classes go with all classes. Because that's um, all, the only thing Hufflepuffs are good for, being in the background. <laughs> First of all, oh. thank you. Second of all, how dare you? <laughs> and I did note that literally Snape is the person who starts the feud between him and Harry by saying, Harry Potter, Anu, celebrity. In part one, Ron's the one who starts the feud between Harry and Draco. So really, Harry's just trying his best out here. <laughs> and everyone at every turn is just stopping him in his tracks. Harry's just like so pure and innocent. He's like writing down what Snape is saying to him. And Snape calls him out. And it's just really inappropriate. Seamus has his first explosion. They decided that instead of actual character development, Seamus was just going to blow things up. That's all he Okay, does. here's my exact note. To be honest, they didn't have time to give him a personality, so they made him a joke. R.I.P. Yes. Seamus. I love him in the books. I love that he's just like this funny background character until he gets into that terrible beef with Harry in book five about like my mom says that you're lying about Voldemort. So R.I.P. Seamus. Both Seamus and Dean who do not get personalities in the movie. Of course, I don't think that the main characters really got a personality either. They're in the Great Hall and they find out that something has been stolen from this vault that Harry went to. And instead of anybody piecing anything together, which they do immediately in the books, instead of them like having a conversation about it, instead of them being intelligent, it's literally just them being like, hmm, how peculiar. And then it's just a cut so scene weird. of them staring at each other with suspicious eyes. <laughs> It's <laughs> like it's almost like we should be able to figure something out right now. Yeah. And that's that's my big beef is that they rely on the sh the audience's shared understanding and knowledge of what the plot is and what the book is and the yeah, story. Yeah, it definitely does. They move it along. They like skip stuff. Then we're in the great hall next, and the mail comes, and it's the first time we see the mail, and the theme music drops because that's how we know we're excited. And Neville gets his remember all, so you know next we're going to flying lessons. Okay, mm -hmm. the flying lesson. I just need I need to put this out because they wrote this for the movie. It's not in the books, and it is the most sexual fucking moment. <laughs> Madam Hooch's intro consists of the words, I want you to grab hold of your broom, grip it tight, and mount it. Don't want to be slipping off the end. <laughs> That's how you break a dick. I mean, a That's broom. how you break a dick. <laughs> yes. So then we get to the part where Madam Hooch is like, we're going to take off on my count of three. I'm going to blow the whistle. This part has always driven me insane and how did not one single person on this movie team point out that like madam hooch is like on my whistle i'm gonna count to three we're gonna lift off one two three tweet and neville is the only person who respects her command like he is listening to instructions and everyone else is just like so so that's something actually it is enjoyable about the movies is that when they have neville longbottom like moments like you will remember them. Whereas in the book, they almost just seem like kind of in the background and it's really That's not true. Like, like they're so like yeah. upfront and it's, it's because it happens all within like less than two hours. You remember it. Whereas when you're reading the book, you may not pick up and read that next chapter for a day or two or something like that. 
So it's actually kind of, he becomes more of a central character earlier in the movies. Could it be said that you remember all of the Neville scenes from the movies? Guys. (laughs) So often when I'm editing this podcast, my fiance, Sean, has something to say about it. And this time I made him record it. Isn't he cute? I think part of that is that when they're make, adapting to the films, it's like who gets to stay a character and who doesn't, right? And yeah. as we just discussed, like Seamus and Dean and Lee Jordan all got the short end of the stick. They're like, you guys don't get to be characters, sorry. But Neville plays a really important part in this book specifically and in the overarching plot of this ultimately. And so that's why they're like, okay, we need to, we, we need to like force this character basically. Neville becomes the the tiebreaker at the end, so we have to literally care about him. Yeah, you have to give a sh- you have to feel on some level like he deserves it. You know what I mean? I remember when I was young watching this movie when Malfoy picks up the remember all and he's like, maybe if he had had this, he would have remembered to fall on his bad ass. And I was like, oh, <laughs> first of all, they Neville put, is skinny. They put a curse word in <laughs> Harry Potter. It earned that PG rating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. They chose that one scene to throw a curse word down. Like the director was like, "If I make a stand, I make a stand here on the Quidditch field." Is ours like less of a curse word? It's like the most lukewarm curse word in America. Is it like less of a curse word in Britain? Not that I'm aware Britannia? of. No, Similar. It's like less. Britannia. No, it's, it's less. It's kind of more of like a schoolboys use it very commonly. Neville falls down, has a boo-boo. That is another scene that is like much easier to read than it is to watch is him falling from the roof. That's a fall. He's lucky he just broke his wrist. That's a lot. They had mm-hmm. to do like intermittent. And I remember this as a kid too. Him like he gets the initial drop and then they have to catch him again so that he doesn't yeah. just wreck himself on the ground. Madame Hooch rushes over to him. I notice she's nicer in the films than she is in the books. Maybe that's just one of those things where it's like, well, she could just not be a bitch and then no one will notice her in this scene. Like, they are always supposed to not notice her. She does a cute little cat sound at him. She's like, oh. To be fair, that exact (laughs) noise is what happens in my head every time I read Tisk Tisk in novels. Mm. Like, I assume that 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 is. is? Yeah, I assume that that's the vocalization of tisk tisk. No, I have I like assume tisk tisk is tisk. Yeah, I have like feigned being like, oh yeah, it's is like a natural sound. Like I attracted a cat outside my recording studio. That's how you summon them. Madame Hitch leaves, and then Malfoy swings around. His moves are actually pretty slick. I had to admit, like he just hops right on that broom and he sails away. And I'm like, all right, true, you got skills. I also in this scene noticed um, Hermione's crimped hair. <laughs> oh man, it's the I, worst the in book. Hair. It's the worst in the second movie, but like it's still pretty bad in this movie. I went as Hermione for Halloween, like many years in a row. As a do you child. have a photograph? Um, I do, but you could not tell it was Hermione. My parents didn't read or really care that much about what I was reading. So like, I was like, I want to be Hermione and they would get me like a generic wizard costume. Yeah. And then my mom would just spend an ungodly amount of time crimping my hair because I was really insistent that the hair had to be wild. (laughs) Harry gets in trouble. Professor McGonagall comes to get him. She takes him to Professor Quirrell. Professor Quirrell has an iguana for some reason. Also very important. So he has the iguana. She asks (laughs) if she can borrow wood. And then in the background, 
he starts his conver- he like starts his lecture again with so what you need to know about vampires what the fuck do vampires and iguanas have in common? <laughs> maybe it's like just his pet iguana maybe that's like a fun character development thing we don't know about him <laughs> i just thought that was a class pet <laughs> Okay. Whatever it is, like I'm here for it. Like I love the iguana. <laughs> one, I one, I think I really do think it's one of those things where I don't think they did a good job in this movie with Quirrell. Like they were trying to make him odd and like weird. So I feel like they were like he doesn't get much screen time. So they were just like throw an iguana on him. That'll definitely <laughs> seem suspicious. Oh, no one normal owns an iguana. Yeah, no one has that's an iguana. A, that's Kids a good will recognize point. that's the mark of evil. <laughs> First of all, iguanas are basically squirrels in some parts of the world. Okay. When you think Colombian drug dealer, you usually think exotic pets. I was gonna say iguanas. You think iguanas. So what I'm saying is, they're like, yo, this is a this is an archetype of most movies for a bad man. We've all seen Squar- Scarface throw a fucking iguana on him. Um, interesting interesting the iguana is definitely noteworthy and what their intentions were we will never know okay cool so harry's become seeker what a surprise that's a great reward for breaking a lot of rules okay so this is a major change in the book in that hermione he's like expressing doubt and hermione decides that she's gonna tell him about his dad being seeker and like they take him to the trophy room which in um in the books that does not that's not something we learn until book two because Ron, um I'm, he I just remember they barf slugs on it. You remember in the books when Harry is walking with McGonagall and you feel so much dread and there's so much yeah. apprehension because you feel like oh, Harry yeah. fucked up. You don't get an ounce of that in that scene. Like yeah, the buildup I mean, is not there. The, the I just feel like they fail like those moments in the book that are so amazing because they make you feel like a child again and they capture those feelings of nervousness, anxiety, hope that you feel as a child. The movie just says, "Now nah, fuck that." <laughs> and yeah, it there, it's like it's like two full pages in the book. So Brooke, you kind of touched on this with um, how Hermione is like, your dad did this thing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, to me, this is like one of the greatest differences between the book and the films is Hermione is their friend right now. She gets involved way too early. For no reason. It goes straight from them hating her to her just like being a part of their friend group before Halloween. I had the same note because it really bugged me that like Ron even has this line where like, it's kind of scary. She knows more about you than you do. And it's like, why? Like, why are we doing that? They never deal with any of the implications of that. And I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to have a bonding moment of actual character development instead of just them kind of just being chummy from the start. It's them trying to do too much with like, yeah, you're like, this was your destiny. Like your dad did this. It's them trying to force the trio before they're ready. And I didn't have a good end. I just really dramatically escalated to the end. And, <laughs> and, and it's a crappy movie. And it means that on Halloween, when Ron says that shit about her, he's saying it about a friend. He's it not saying it about friend. some random person. He's saying it about someone who they already have a history with. So that fucking pisses me off. Also, she says his dad was a seeker, and I'm pretty sure in the books he's a chaser. So it's just like they're trying to make it like too tight and perfect. Actually, now, Tina, now that you said that, I take everything back about me thinking this is a crappy movie because of that one comment about the fact that Ron was now friends with Hermione, but he would talk shit about her because that's what 11-year-olds do. They're, they're not nice to each other. They're like, you're my best friend. But then they go and they sit at a different table at lunch and they're like, fuck that guy. 
Wow. You it was like personal I feel, experience. I feel sorry for your sixth grade friends. Well, I didn't have friends in the sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. And in terms of like extra 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 lack of character development in all of this we don't get the midnight duel at all mm-hmm. yeah so they're literally instead of doing the whole midnight duel that leads to them discovering fluffy they're literally walking on a staircase the staircase yes moves, and they just enter doors at random yes. until they end up at fluffy and the problem is is like they didn't do enough rule breaking to warrant the amount of ire coming yes. from Hermione. Like, yeah, they they they, they really fuck this whole this whole thing. They real they completely fuck it. Okay, they literally are just walking through the school, minding their fucking business. The staircase just takes them away, which we've discussed is a bad system. That is not the case in the books. They don't just take them away, and. They're just hiding because the stairs took them to the wrong place. So, like, just stay on the stairs or, like, go back down the stairs. Like, figure it out. You don't have to keep going. Um, they definitely had more than one option there. Yes. And then it's just, yeah, it's just, just so really- stupid. Like, why do you keep, why are you hiding? Like, why are you acting so guilty? Yeah, it's in the middle like- of the day, too, right? Yes, yeah. it's in the middle of the day. You just feel like during orientation, they would have gone over this. They're like, hey, the stairs move. So if one of them moves on you, just stay here because it'll come back in five minutes. And they're like, holy shit, this has never happened before. Let's just go through this door. And you're like, what? Also, no. in terms of that corridor being off limits, if it's not, if people aren't able to immediately identify what corridor it is, then how do you expect them to avoid it? Yeah, you need like third, fourth corridor, floor, floor, floor. <laughs> off limits dude so so this is this is <laughs> it's a no-no so this, is, this a big, is a no-no zone caution tape. It's a no this is a big pet peeve of mine because if you when you watch the movies there is no spatial awareness like if you actually look in the background hogwarts keeps changing its design one moment they're like is hogwarts this huge like encompassing like multi-village castle or is it just one giant castle with a giant courtyard we don't know and it is hard to keep track of for sure it's literally like it's like i really during this entire movie i was like it it made me want to watch a wes anderson movie because you know how wes anderson makes like nice little maps and diagrams yeah you're like i want some order (laughs) dude i'm like why did wes why did they not get wes anderson to do this movie because i feel like it would want to be quirkier oh my god a wes anderson Anderson, harry Harry potter Potter. movie shut the fuck up wait Draft that email to Wes Anderson right now. Bottle, imagine Bottle Rockets plus like Moonrise Kingdom with just Harry Potter. Freaking amazing. Uh, that would be really awesome. Yeah, they meet Fluffy. There's a fuck ton of bass when you meet him. And I, I really am starting to realize that that's how, not only is that how films convey drama, but it's also how they convey size because there was a shit ton of bass when Hagrid was introduced too. So mm-hmm. just like really to scare the shit out of those kids watching that movie. <laughs> So they see Fluffy and they scream and they run. And then they leave Fluffy and they escape that situation. And Hermione says, I'm going to bed. And it's like yep. three, three in the afternoon. You've never had a tough enough day that you just like gave up and went back to bed. <laughs> it is not right. daytime. Dude, you're, you're, you're dealing with kids who are literally learning how to make potions that can make people automatically fall in love with them. They've obviously all figured out how to microbrew. Hermione was just day drunk. She was just <laughs> like, Yo, dude, I've been brewing. I have a nice IPA. I'm going to fucking bed, bruh. And you're just like, right on. 
Mike, the non sequitur nature of your brain is like incredible to me. So next we go to our first Quidditch lesson with Oliver freaking Wood. Okay, Wood can get it. Hollywood can get yes. it. Okay, so like I'm 30 and he's 14, but like when I was 14, Hollywood could fucking get it. Let's put it that way. I, Everything, <laughs> oh, that yeah. accent, I, that turtleneck sweater. I, he's like the so first good. person where I was like, are other people's accents attractive? I think they are. I think yeah. other. I think Americans maybe don't have a great accent. Uh, I think yeah. I think all of you are all wrong, and I think he's a real pansy and uh, like what a loser. <laughs> okay. Um, so I actually had a, an interesting, and this is kind of a diversion, but this was the moment in the movie where I noticed it. The costume design versus the set dressing in this movie and the way that they handle the spaces that they're in. They put everybody in neutral-toned, earth-toned clothes the entire time. I, all the colors that the students are wearing and the teachers is very muted. Yeah, like, at best you get like McGonagall in a nice emerald green. Well, even like yeah. Coral's turban is purple, but it's like a dusty purple. It's dusty, yeah. But what that does... Dusty and for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, Voldemort dust. <laughs> um... But so what I noticed in this particular scene, it was the moment that it like struck home for me because what it does is because they're all in such muted tones and like neutrals, the world around them constantly looks so saturated and poppy and magical. When you get something like a red quaffle and a golden snitch on a green grass with people in really muted tones, your eye is immediately like it makes the world feel like a colorful picture book. So it's a it's a world building tool. Yeah. That's very really, I don't didn't notice that at all and that's a a very interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt that, and I, I noticed it more as, as the movie went on, but, you know, you every time you see the Hogwarts castle, it's dripping in, like, color. Even the color of the stone tends to be a rich, like, golden stone instead of a gray. And, wow. And so you end, it ends up creating this kind of ethereal environment where it seems like the characters are very human, but they're almost copy and pasted into this magical world that shouldn't exist. Yeah, that that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. It, it's um, it really drives home like he was raised in the in the Muggle world, but like they're all just kind of like walking into this place that is a lot bigger than them and has a personality without them. Yeah, I think though a lot of like that set design goes back to so one of. One of J.K. Rowling's like big things was when they made the movies, was she said it had to be filmed in England and it had to be used British, Scottish, Irish actors. But I think because of that, uh, if you harken back to like the 90s and mid 2000s, the English film industry really was kind of like non-existent. It wasn't they they didn't do big CGI movies, and so I think this is one of those things where you're seeing them like use a lot and like work all really heavily on set designs. Whereas like other movies, if this was filmed in America, you would have seen them be like, you know what we need to do? We need to fly to Lithuania and we'll film it at an actual castle in Lithuania. Whereas the British were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We'll just use a set here, like in some small town. And I think it shows, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just an observation. I think that's how you get that kind of like, mystical backdrop that you yeah. feel when you watch it 
Yeah, that's a good point. I think there there's definitely something to be said for the authenticity of like this said. It's obviously not always possible, but I always think about the proposal starring Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock, <laughs> which is film. It's set in dramatic air quotes Sitka, Alaska, which is. <laughs> The only place in Alaska I've ever been to, and it does not look like Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the film was 100% guaranteed filmed in Massachusetts. <laughs> Yo, so speaking of like shows or movies that had like bad, like they didn't do like justice to their like where they were, there used to be a show about like it was like about a cult murderer and it starred kevin bacon and it was only on for like two or three series. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I watched it. And it was it was in um, heavy quotes everybody in richmond virginia oh no and and they the guy the murderer was a professor at a college that was all very brick and old schooly and it was like oh that's u of r but they would do oh scene God. they would do scenes where they'd be like the murderer's on the corner of broad and like and like uh at, like broad and second street right and if you're from richmond you know that's smack dab downtown big buildings. Ward, yeah. yeah and they would show like somebody on the corner of like a suburban neighborhood and so me and my <laughs> like, friends like that is so wrong <laughs> so me and my friends used to every time they did like a bad thing like that we would drink we made a drinking game out of it. every time they'd be like <laughs> wow. th- they'd be like the murderer is driving up Cary street and it would show them in like in a back country road we were like well fucking drink so i wonder if like british road maybe in like 1850 richmond <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. I wonder if, like, if there really are wizards, if they're watching this and they're watching, like, a, like dumb moguls <laughs> film this, they're like, that's not what Hogwarts looks like at all. Gotta fucking drink. drink. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're like, the forest, that mythical forest, that's no, more like a fucking bush, man. Some overgrown grass drink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, let's bring it back. Um, just like some other things, we're still kind of in this, like, fall term montage. Um, Professor Flitwick is apparently a gremlin. He's not a gremlin in later movies, but he's like oh full gremlin God. in this one. <laughs> Rewatching this movie, I was like, what the fuck? That's Flitwick? I completely forgot that his whole character completely changes. Yeah, he Wait. becomes like just like a short, nice gentleman in later films. With but like he- a mustache. Do they like flip the script on what people look like in later movies? There's a couple characters that get the actors switched or at least like the approach switched. One of them is Flitwick. Um, Another one is Tom the barman is a troll. Mm -hmm. He's a nice man in this film. And then in later ones, he becomes a troll. So once again, just another problem I have with the movies is the Harry Potter universe. It's got so many amazing and interesting characters that really capture the imagination and capture like the, the reader. And then the movies, because of the medium that is a movie, they can't, man, I just wish, I just wish like HBO would have gotten the JK Rowling because we could have had a <laughs> yes. crazy. Yo, like, I'm here for that. Yo, yeah. like, yeah. I think JK. HBO really needs to invest in all of the great fantasy epics of our time. Like I'd love to see an HBO Lord of the Rings show. I'd love to see an HBO Percy Jackson. HBO, <laughs> email me. I'll help. <laughs> <laughs> So we're in Charms class now. This is the classic Leviosa scene. It just really makes me sad that it's really obvious in the films that Ron is not even trying. In the book, it's kind of like he's trying. He's maybe saying it wrong. Hermione's trying to help. She's maybe doing that wrong. But in the movie, he's like waving his wand like a crazy person. He's like, Leviosa! And he's like jamming it. And it's like, I would also intervene in maybe not a very nice way. It makes it like doubly bitchy that then he's so mad at Hermione yeah, for, for helping. It just shows that it's like a problem with him. 
yeah inside he's like used to being uh shat upon by his like brothers and stuff <laughs> shat upon <laughs> um <laughs> And then Seamus blows up his feather and there's an actual atomic bomb sound effect when that happens. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I think he just... Perhaps he just has the wrong wand. (laughs) Either that or, like, I... I don't know. Sometimes you just, like, have a talent. You know? It's not necessarily good talent. Or like it's not a talent for good, but then also like if you're exceptionally good at a, at magicing bombs out of anything, like Seamus is a number one pick for like M sixteen. Like he should be working for oh, yeah. the British government. Wait, did you, did you say M sixteen? Isn't that what it is? No, it's M I six. Military <laughs> intelligence. That's an ID ten tier. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the I was a one. Um, it's MI6. <laughs> okay, you know what that reminds me of? Um, I know y'all have seen Atlantis. What's that guy's name? The bomb guy from Atlantis. So sexy now, oh, I'm, realize- yeah, I'm realizing yes. right now that he's so sexy. Whatever mm. his name is, he's a great <laughs> character and he blows stuff up. And that's what Seamus needs to be doing. Yep. Is this yeah, the man. first time Seamus blows something up of two times in this movie? Because I think they definitely do it more than once, right? He no, blew something up in time. potions, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's right. So this is two of two. Oh, yeah. actually, it's three. This is the third time, because then also when Neville gets the remember all, he's trying to make rum out of the water goblet and blows yeah, that rum. This, this guy never has They love eyeballs. that joke. Wait, wait, wait. They this love is it. The, this is also the 90s, right? Mm. Uh, dude, it's just the Troubles. He's just he's just a oh. member of the NRA. Yeah, oh my god. We cannot get into that. No, 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 no. Do you mean Taylor oh, Swift song Trouble? Is that what you're talking about right now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So next it's Halloween. I loved this. So we zoom in on this beautiful feast hall and it's pumpkins and it's Halloween-y and they're going across the table and they're panning and you're getting like all these crazy dishes and then they go over a bowl of apples that just has a fake bat stuck on it. <laughs> Matt, it's magic. <laughs> just like, it's like, it's like chickens and like all these like wild, crazy looking things and then just bad apples. <laughs> that apple is a bad apple. Bad apple. A bat apple spoils the whole cave. <laughs> so they're like talking about like where's Hermione, I think. And then um Neville's like she's been crying in the bathroom all day and like I love so much that Neville has the girl gossip. <laughs> and then Ron gets a moment of just like double fisting lollipop shrug. <laughs> Which like same <laughs> Once again, I now like I think this movie perfectly encapsulates like what it is like 11 year old. Uh, there's an 11 year old girl crying in a bathroom. The boy doesn't really care because he doesn't realize what he did was wrong. Like this really sums up middle school. Yeah. And as somebody who used to cry a lot in the bathroom, Ugh. I feel didn't we all in middle school? I feel it. So then classic Coral running intro in the dungeon, which like truly he can only have been faking that because as a genuine concerned teacher move, that is not how you handle it. Um, I love it. This is a great thing that the movie was able to do that you don't get in the books, but you know, he does the troll in the dungeon and then you get this visual misdirect of Snape sneaking back through a yes. door yeah. instead of going with everybody else. And I did really enjoy that the movie allows you to have that, that 
beautiful red herring moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot of opportunity for red herrings because there's a lot of, like, in the book, it's a lot of Harry being like, I assume this is Snape. But in the movie, they're giving you the evidence that he's seeing and you're like, oh, yeah, this is Snape. Because you're not looking at Quirrell. Because it takes, the movie takes your eyes. Yeah. You go where the camera tells you to go. And in a book, you can go back and reread that passage. Yeah. So Ron and Harry go to like find Hermione in the bathroom and they go to like save the day and they fight it and like wand in the nose. Um, Did the troll have a club in the books? I don't remember it having one. I don't remember either and I actually don't have the copy on me right now. Hello, potheads. Yes. Yes, the troll did have a club while it was in the bathroom because that's the whole point. When Ron says Wingardium Leviosa and levitates the club, that's the whole point. We get things wrong all the time. We're not geniuses. Thank you so much for bearing with us. What I want to know is like, how did the investigation into this situation go down? Because there's no way Dumbledore was just like, trolls get in all the time. Like, like, what was the resolution when they were like, how the fuck did this troll get in? Knowing Quirrell has a way with trolls. Yeah, because in the book, that was his thing in the, uh, I almost called it the Chamber of Secrets, but it's not. Um, I literally but- have always, I, like my whole life, I've had such a hard time with the process of getting to the Sorcerer's Stone just seems like a Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It does. Do you know what would be awesome if you made a miniseries called harry potter explained but in the miniseries it just shows horrible things happening so like in this case it would be dumbledore investigating the troll and then uh some innocent <laughs> professor being accused of it their life being ruined and you're no! just like yeah right right so it just goes through all these things explaining it but what it explains is just horrible you're just like oh my god they like fired this innocent professor and then they sent him to jail like <laughs> i will say one thing i liked about giving the troll a club is that it allowed harry to ride the club up onto the troll's back which in the books he just has insane vertical jumps so i i yeah. liked that the club was used to get around the like harry's got mad up situation yeah yeah Harry can play Good ball point. like what are you guys just <laughs> something else that they changed from the book to the film is in the film Hermione is like trying to Ron and Harry are fighting the troll and Hermione's trying to help them and she's like remember swish and flick whereas in the book Ron just says the first thing that comes to mind it literally is Hermione stealing the smart from Ron and being like me I remember swish and flick like he doesn't at any moments Hermione steals the smart from both of them pretty much this entire movie. Definitely. She steals 100p, as Mary Clay would say, of Ron's smart (laughs) and about 95p of Harry's smart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So when the teachers come in and break it up, um, one other really nice thing that we get from the movie is we get Snape covering his bloody leg immediately. It ties it right back into him having like snuck through the door just a few minutes prior. It's yeah. not it's not so disconnected as it is in the books. Yeah, it's definitely like where are Harry's eyes? Next we get to go to Harry's first Quidditch match ever. Um which starts with Snape coming to wish him good luck for some I, reason. I hated that because I hated it too. 
<laughs> it's just got such like juvenile unnecessarily antagonistic vibes and like the only way i can explain it and make peace with that as a decision is that if you're viewing it through harry's mindset then i guess it makes sense but it really doesn't yeah, well you they- get to see him like limp away i think that was like the point but we already yeah. saw the bloody <laughs> leg it's we like, did it's like he limps <laughs> and then harry's like oh that's right i remember Snipe was a limpid. And again, they're not like immediately like, oh, it must be fluffy. They're just like, hmm, hmm, hmm. So, like, so do you know what? Do you know what I blame for this though? So the director of this is the same director who did Home Alone one and two, right? Chris and- Columbus did Home Alone. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know he that. Did Home Alone and one. Of the Hold the fucking they- phone. Hey Siri, <laughs> who directed Home Alone one? Which one? I found nine. Home Alone. Home Alone 2. Lost in New York. There are nine Home Alone Home Alone movies. 3. Oh, no. Home Alone. Guys, she, she gave up on me. Yeah, well, one of the reasons why I picked him was he has a really good track record of working with children. But uh, I think it's because of that, because a lot of movies, like especially Home Alone, you have the child, but they use adult actors as really the fulcrum to get movement and to get the children to act like the children usually in most of his movies don't act with another child it's just not like two children acting with each other it's usually to see some like movement to see something if there's an adult in the room and so i feel like he uses snape too much to kind of try to like show something out of harry and you kind of see that you really like it's the best moments of harry are the moments he's interacting with adults um in the movie at least I think, Grace, you're the one who said that these children had no choice but to become good actors by being, like, exposed to all these great actors. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a day of the Quidditch match. Um, Harry gets a package, which, like, L-O-fucking-L, they're like, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, yep. obviously a broom. It's, like, so fucking obvious. I hate that so much. <laughs> Could not be more obvious, actually. <laughs> Could not be. I don't even know why it's wrapped. It's the day of your Quidditch match. Like, what did you think you were going to ride? I actually wonder why they don't just use regulation school-provided broomsticks anyway. yeah, So that way it's not, um, what, yeah. what's the word for, like, I have money and now I'm better than you? Consumerism? Uh, Draco Malfoy. Cap- Draco capitalism? Malfoy. Draco Malfoy. <laughs> it's Draco Malfoy. Harry gets the package inside is his broom. <laughs> Hedwig is like in on the surprise, I guess, because she flies over to Professor McGonagall, and I'm pretty sure they both <laughs> wink at him. They're both like, yes. great, great work. You got a broom now. We were in on it together. We go next to the Quidditch match. We get a different bad Oliver Wood pep talk. <laughs> bad in a different way. <laughs> Which keeps the spirit of the original bad pep talk from the books, but I like this one much better because it is far fucking funnier for him to be like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I was nervous before my first match. Like, I don't know, it took a bludger to the head two minutes in, like, woke up in the hospital a week later. <laughs> it is what it is. Go ahead. But, but dude, seriously, though, I actually like that scene because it's very English and it reminds me of, like, soccer hooligans when soccer hooligans are like, mm. took a took a bottle to the back of the head as I was walking to the stadium. Good day. And you're like, what? No, what? dude. Like, you just, someone whacked you over with a bottle and they're like, yeah, it happens. They're Manchester. It happens. And you're just like, no. Like, no, that's not I that's reject not this. Yeah. So as I want to say that we start off this Quidditch match with Madam Hooch 
bringing the drip with those ref robes. <laughs> they are beautiful. Yeah, and like from yeah. a costume design uh, standpoint, it's great because you instantly know what she's doing because she's in like black and white stripes. But you, there are these like fabulous robes with these like black and white striped flowing hood. Like, oh Which, God, I loved it. This does not happen in the films, but it happens in the books. If you'll remember, Snape referees a game in the books. Imagine him in these in the robes, robes with jeans underneath. <laughs> Fancy ref robes. <laughs> As he flies up to like call a penalty, like they just like flip up Marilyn Monroe style revealing his <laughs> light wash jeans. We already mentioned that, like, we don't get Lee Jordan as a character, and the main reason for that is that we don't get him as a commentator. He's giving a genuine commentation. He's genuinely commentating um, with no shenanigans. So if there's no shenanigans, it's not Lee Jordan, and that's sad to me because that is a great detail in the books. I get why they skipped it, but great detail. They decide to, like, make the match super action-packed, which is why you don't need heavy air quotes, Lee Jordan, even though I think it would still have improved it. But I disagree with the fact that the way that they made it action-packed was just to give all of these children, like, horrible, brutalizing TBI. Like, they're literally getting slammed into the ground, thrown into, like, posts. Like, it's it's rough. First of all, why is nobody talking about the fact that Harry literally this entire, like, this entire time was his team is getting brutalized and beat the crap (laughs) out? He's just floating there like, whoa, best seats in the house. And you're Um, like... In what? his defense, that is how it goes in the books. It's like he just flew above watching. Um, I love how many close-ups of his facial reactions we get. Just like oh, yeah. really some really terrible child acting in this scene of his like indignant facial expressions. Um, he is cringing so hard. So one of my like main complaints with this whole Quidditch thing is the CGI. For me, the problem with the CGI is that the lighting just never adds up. The sky behind them is a crystal clear blue sky with not a damn cloud. And there is no sunshine anywhere in that scene. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. if you made it an overcast day, it would add up, but it it doesn't. And so like, every time it shows a character, it's really obvious that they don't belong in their background. Christina, just put me in charge of the lighting. I got you. (laughs) Grace, we need you. Tap in, tap in with HBO. (laughs) Also, based on their locations in the movie, Hermione is fucking booking it around, like, half of a stadium and up or down, like, multiple sets of stairs in order to get You know what? Here. She makes good time, okay? (laughs) That's probably my favorite scene in the movie was the Quidditch match. Oh, well, that's awesome because we hated that chapter. (laughs) I know. I I hated that chapter, too, because I felt like I think it just goes back to the key point. What does make the movies good is that they actually are able to show you what the action looks like. Where it's like a it's like a visual masterpiece, which yeah. like in a book, when you get a visual masterpiece, you're like, okay, great, like next well, thing. Well, rolling, rolling, she can't do, especially in the first book, she yeah. can't do like a fight scene or an action scene. She's just like dialogue mystery i got you but she's like i don't know they race really fast on the brooms and have a closet and you're like what wait what yeah and i really think the movie does a great job of kind of filling in what she kind of lacked on that end yeah so a couple other notes from this scene that i just want to make a why does marcus flint sound like an orc 
that's unfair Slytherin profiling. Take that side! And it's like, that is an actual orc voice from the actual Lord of the Rings films. Okay, like, we hate Slytherins because they are orcs! Michael was also offended by his teeth. Yeah, they, uh, he has orc teeth. Seriously, man, offensive. Really. It is offensive to some Slytherins, of whom there are none in this recording. There are many. As a fellow Slytherin. There are gotta, many. There are many, many Slytherins here. So when Hermione is like looking at the teacher box being like, who's casting this curse? If you know what to look for, you can see Quirrell in the background muttering, but yeah. like for literally just a split second before it literally zooms a tight, tight, what do you call that? Like a tight headshot on Snape's close face up? muttering intensely. Yeah, a close yeah. up maybe some would call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so definitely like some misdirection there. I feel like the surfing snitch catch is just like blatant early 2000s surfer. Oh like, my god, culture. Like why? Why stand on the broom? Like okay. why is that your move? All right, let okay. All right, once again, y'all just be ignorant. Let's take man explain it to us. Right. Why are yeah. we standing me, on a broom? <laughs> let me first gaslight y'all real quick. Um, oh one, please do. <laughs> It's not the 2000s. It's the fucking 90s. What a lot of people don't realize is a wave, a pandemic was sweeping America in the late 90s, early 2000s. Corona. Do you know, oh. do you know what it was? Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Okay. <laughs> Yo, Tony that's a Hawk great game. Pro Skater was literally flooding into every living room in America and England. Children were trying to do alley oops and flips, and the thing, and people thought the X Games was cool. Okay? Harry doesn't have any of that though. But the directors are trying to appeal to it, <laughs> and so they're like, "Do you know what's diggity diggity dog?" Oh no! So, let's get this kid <laughs> oh, no. skating on a broom. Okay. You know what, He's Mike, wearing I leather gloves. I have a different but similar point, and and that is to invoke Haley in this moment. And say it's all about the drama. All about the drama. It's all about the drama. How will we remember his first Quidditch match if he doesn't literally actually choke on the snitch and have to vomit it back up like a mother bird? <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> he just barfs it back up for the drama. There's no other reason. So they go to like, I think Hagrid's house and they're like chit chatting about shit and Hagrid's letting some shit slip that he maybe shouldn't. Okay. So I feel a lot better about movie Hagrid. Okay. My issue with Hagrid is that he's constantly drawing these children in and dumping responsibility on them and all this stuff, right? In the movie, they are always coming to him. They are coming to him as okay. a trusted adult figure in their life to talk about things that worry them because they feel unsafe, which is an appropriate adult relationship. And Hagrid might slip up and tell them something that like he didn't mean to tell them, but he's never actively roping them in. Well, because the whole like Norbert thing is goes yeah. different. But also, even just in this moment, he's not like, oh, like come to my house, like because like you know he brings them to his house for tea, like after the game, and is like you know just like saying shit. And so I think I didn't have a problem with movie Hagrid because he was doing exactly what was an adult should do in that which is like counseling and like caring counseling and answering caring questions and, as best you can and like they came to him because they saw him as a trusted figure in their lives instead of it being him constantly being like you want to see what i've got in my fireplace like yeah yeah 
So I I didn't have a problem with movie Hagrid. I thought that they well, did a really good. good job making him charming and appropriate. And-, and again, I think that the actor Robbie Coltrane is probably part of that because you're like, yeah, I do trust you. So it's Christmas morning. Harry's first real good Christmas with the boys. I think it's so cute. Just Ron and Harry just just loving life. Very cute. It just goes straight to the invisibility cloak. And the cloak is another one of those things that's way cooler in the book. In the God damn it, I always say it wrong because I'm just used to things being better in the book. But it's way cooler to look at in the movie than it is to hear about in the book. It, it's believable because they just like erase Daniel Radcliffe's whole body. So My body's gone. When Harry's wearing the cloak, it has its own spooky music, like some ghost music. <laughs> Ooh, cloak music. Yeah. We don't get to see any of their, like, cute Christmas activities, like the snowball fight and the feast and, like, lunch and stuff. Um, it goes straight yeah. to Her- Harry sneaking out to the restricted section. We, we also don't get any of the Weasley boy bonding. Yeah. So for my hardcore Harry Potter fans out there, there actually is a really good companion piece about, like, a movie that, like, syncs with it. It's called Beauty and the Beast. And actually, it's that scene where Emma Watson is walking around, like, the campgrounds. If you take that scene, and you pause that portion of Harry Potter right at Christmas, and then you start playing that uh, part of Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson in it, you're literally like, oh, okay, here's the snowball fight, here's the magical creature from the forest. Like, you're like, wow. And then you then play There's something back there that wasn't there before, before. or yeah, however and then you the just fuck start it playing goes. It, and you, it doesn't miss And you get beat. to hit Voldemort in the face with a snowball. Yeah, right? Yes. And it doesn't, miss, it doesn't miss a beat. And then you just start <laughs> clicking play as it goes in the restriction section. And you're like, what a lovely little intermusical interlude. Wow. I'm telling you, try it. It's really awesome. Oh, God. Okay, that's a great recommendation from Mikey yeah. here to hear first. So we go to the restricted section. Harry sneaks in with his invisibility cloak and the lantern. He pulls a book down and scary, so scary. So scary. Haunts my nightmares. A face. In the book, in the book, the book screams. But in the movie, there is a person trapped in that book. Yeah, it literally seems like there's a soul attempting to get out of that book. Yeah. That's what happens when you do blood magic. Yeah, can we talk about it? Can we talk about what writer is writing a book and they're like, you know what'll really like make this chapter pop is, is a soul possessed within the pages. Is That'll the- really book a horcrux i was just about to say what if it's somebody else's horcrux that just got lost to time yeah that's totally a thing that could be real how awful i'm not okay (laughs) oh my god yeah Yeah, that's scary so mrs norris comes to get harry i think i think she can see through the cloak i think from the films that's like really obvious to me um and then he sees snape and quirrell talking in the hallway um, Harry as he's like escaping in his invisibility cloak and Snape grabs for him which if you ask me that's like 100% legitimate in action he like can yeah. s- sense that somebody is there but he like can't see it so he'd be like grabbing <laughs> it's so funny because the, the thing that I noticed in that scene is we get the point of view from like like as if we're Harry right when we're looking at uh, Quirrell and Snape and he is as tall as Quirrell and Snape. And I'm like, fuck, how, how tall is Harry right now? So he's really short. That's a cameraman mistake. Yeah, I was like, they fucked up. So, yes, we get to the mirror of Erised. It's very pretty. We obviously don't get in the movie the extended family that we get in the mm-hmm. book. 
no knobbly knees this time. For some reason, I remember someone with knobbly knees. Yes. So that is kind of sad. We don't get the rest of that. But I, I, I mean, I understand. And I think we'd also talked about when we were reading the book, like that this was the first time Harry has actually seen his parents. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's the impression that I got from the movie. You know why you're not sure is because when Hagrid is telling Harry about Voldemort in Leleki Cauldron, we get a flashback and we see his parents. That's so true. So they are giving us information that like Harry, visual information that Harry doesn't have. So this is totally still Harry's first time seeing his parents, but it is not our first time. And that's just no offense to me. I think that's bad filmmaking. Well, and yeah. they don't give him any, like, directing cues to land that emotionally. He's just dumbfounded, as always. Yep. I do like when he comes back and we get the reveal of the fact that Dumbledore is watching him. Oh, so that, that like, cinematography is so well done. Well, and it's yeah. a beautiful music cue as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, that is a surprising moment. And instead of it being this, like, quick pan alarm, like, there's no element of danger in the filmmaking around it. It's sweet. It's a little bit sad. The music is. It's almost like, like, weren't you expecting him to be here all along? Right. But there's no essence of, like, I might be in trouble, which I just love. Speaking (laughs) of beautiful cinematography, we get the classic, like, the image that has always stuck in my mind more than any from this film of him releasing Hedwig in the winter, us following Hedwig up, and then swooping back into spring. Hedwig is always just changing seasons. She's just, that's what she does for us. <laughs> She's the so harbinger. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, I think just like the window scene, I think it's important to every once in a while catch your breath with Harry for just a second so that we can, as well as the character, Harry, be like, I cannot believe we're here right now. Cool. So then next is spring term. I I just fucking hate this dude. Her, Hermione has this really convenient epiphany suddenly that she's seen Nicholas Flamel before. It's so fucking stupid. You've wasted so much time by not just remembering this sooner. Well, and then we mm-hmm. steal all of Harry's intelligence. We steal all of Ron's intelligence. We We get this like I don't know, this like shitty coincidental like addendum moment instead of what it should be, which is these kids actually functioning at a high level and like putting things together and like solving a damn mystery. Yeah, and like all of them working together. But it's just like Hermione being like, sorry, my smart was turned off. It was Christmas, turned it back on, and I had an epiphany. But, Mm. I mean, we get the classic light reading scene so i mean all worth it all worth weeks it. ago for a bit of light reading <laughs> all right Jeez. i love that and it's lines like that where i'm like i would have played a great hermione yeah. <laughs> also though i will say one of the lines i i do really enjoy is um she says uh that it'll make the drinker immortal and ron goes immortal and she goes it means you'll never die and he goes i know what it means and that is great because it's not ron being stupid it's hermione being a smart bitch and it's like ron's like i fucking know i'm just expressing disbelief also i don't know it was at this point in the movie where i realized that harry does very little protagonisting in this movie oh certainly he is along for the ride he is a character that things happen to it's even at the end which like we'll get there Next, we get them going to Hagrid's hut with all of the with the dragon nonsense. And once again, 
Hagrid tries to get them to fuck off. He's like, hey, great, you're having a thing right now. You're talking about Nicholas Flamel. You um, just showed up. Right, you just showed up in my house. Uh, I don't really need you here right now. I'm doing some adult shit. And they're like, we we know about the Sorcerer's Stone. And he's like, fuck, I have to, as an adult responsible for these kids, take care of this. They happen to be here for this dragon egg thing. That's a great point. Right. He yeah. doesn't really want to be a part of this, but they just kind of like shoulder their way into his hut. Well, and then them getting in trouble and him leading the detention makes a lot more fucking sense because they're choosing to be out of bed past dark. Like, they're yeah. choosing to be in his hut. Like, Malfoy f- caught them out when they were actually choosing to break rules instead of doing it on behalf of Hagrid. Okay, quick note. Um, this happens a couple times throughout the first couple of movies when Hermione sits in that giant armchair in it's Hagrid's so hut. Cute. It is so fucking cute with her little Mary Janes. I love it. <laughs> also in this scene, Hagrid is way less alcoholic. Uh, yeah. in that they're like, where'd you get Dragon Egg? And he's like, I won it. Which is a perfectly acceptable explanation. Like, he didn't have to be blackout drunk. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I was talking to a guy and then I blacked out. And, blah, and they never talk about how he has to feed Norbert Brandy. So what you guys aren't taking into account is they had already spent all their adult cred on the word ass. So they were mm-hmm. like, like the censors were like, look, you can't do adults getting drunk with children. You can either yeah. use the word ass or you can have adults getting <laughs> drunk. And you can't do both. And literally the producers and directors are like, I mean, that ass is so critical to that Quidditch scene. <laughs> that ass, though. That, that ass line, just so critical to Malfoy's development. We're going to stick with that. <laughs> like, so, so we learn, like, now that they're out of bed past, past when they're supposed to be because um, they get in trouble for it. Like, why are they doing that? Like, why are they at his house so late? There's no explanation for that. And also, why is Malfoy just randomly out of bed fucking around on the grounds near Hagrid's hut? Like, what the fuck is going on in this school? Malfoy is stalking yeah. Harry because they're in love. <laughs> he does go, like, full stalker mode at this point. So weird. I will say I like the fact that the dragon doesn't stick around. Oh my god, don't even make us deal with it. It gets confiscated by the headmaster as it should be. (laughs) As it should be. And Grace, I assume you would be pleased that there's a complete lack of fang abuse in this. Oh my god. My heart, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And like, Hagrid has the audacity to be acting like a little bit indignant that Dumbledore shipped Norbert off to Romania. I will say we don't get enough of the point system in the movie, like the the house. Oh yeah, certainly. Which is annoying because that's like the whole culmination of the ending. (laughs) Well, and also like we don't get the impact because we don't also see the shunning from the other students. The impact of them getting fifty points each taken away. Yeah, like there's no Mm -hmm. way to know that like that's a lot. Other than Dan Radcliffe going fifty. Yeah, and then, like, and then she's, like, each, and he does this cute little, like, mouth agape thing. So, so, so Ron is in this detention, and Neville is not, which is, like, annoying, because that's part of, like, Neville's, I think, like, culmination of his, like, journey in this book, is that in the end, he stands up instead of going with them, and, like, Ron's just fucking there for no reason. I like getting Harry and Hermione on their own. Because they have such a beautiful friendship without Ron. Not, yeah. not that I don't love Ron and like they all have their own unique friendships with each other. But like Harry and Hermione together are really unstoppable. Platonic power couple. 
Harry and Malfoy get paired together up front. Malfoy doesn't have the opportunity to like fuck around with Neville. I, if I could change one thing about this movie, like if I got one, you go back to the books on this call, it would be putting the centaurs back in. Oh my God. Like, I hate that we lose them in this scene for a lot of reasons, but it it ends up being the first in a series of removals in these movies of the relationship and a very complicated and overall negative relationship that wizards have with magical creatures who are conscious beings in this world. Including the whole winky spew thing in book four. Yeah, I think think Mm -hmm. it really is a missed missed opportunity. Like, they spent what seven we counted last last night seven or eight minutes on the quidditch tournament man you could have spent they spent probably if you look at that scene with the centaur it's 30 seconds you have you could have put in another 30 or 40 seconds into that which would have just so much given more light to it and instead it's so i'll say this the wizarding world in the this harry potter movie is not three-dimensional it's very two-dimensional. Totally. Yeah, and, and you so see that with the centaur. That's a great point. And like that really takes away from the ultimate conflict of like pure blood versus half-blood in the books that is so tied up in like these other magical races. Those two conflicts are really paralleled a lot in the books throughout. And like so it, we just lose that whole aspect of it. And like, I would say maybe the overarching conflict in the books becomes two-dimensional in the films rather than three-dimensional as it is in the books. I think I know why they took the centaurs out. And it's because when Ferenz finally busts up, the CGI is so unforgivably bad. Yeah. It's not good. It's yeah. not okay. It's, it's it's a scene where, yeah, it definitely shows that it's a 20-year-old movie. And um, for, for those who missed it during the chapter-by-chapter chapter analysis, I really, um, really want to see an illustration of Brooke as a centaur with her titties out. She's got some magnificent titties. There's no female centaur representation out there. And that yeah. makes me so sad for the love of God. Somebody draw yeah. Brooke as yeah. a centaur. I will put it up yeah. on our website. I'll put it up on our Instagram. I want to see it. And I'm not good yeah. at drawing, especially horses yeah. or people. I'm so bad at drawing. Guys. Both as, her, as, as her fiance, I really do can't encourage enough. I would love to see some centaur titties. Just, our love life has become quite dull. So if anything, this will spice things up, get us into that. We're really heavy into centaur play. I tried <laughs> drawing myself as a centaur because I loved your description of it so much. And it came out hor- like horrifying, almost as bad as the CGI in this movie. Can you, can you post that as inspiration, please? <laughs> Actually, just going back to the centaur thing, because I can't let it go. The one, the one big fail is in the book, there is such uh, like ominous, like, ooh, like something bad could happen to Harry Potter because they're like, the stars show that you might die, like, right? Well, in that moment, as we brought up when we were doing the chapter, was complete foreshadowing for the way the yeah. book ends. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So it they, is. They, they missed it, man. They missed it so hard. They missed a lot. It's so funny to me because... There are so many lines in that scene in the in the book that are so important. And the one that they pulled from the scene for the movie was, this is where I leave you. And it's like, <laughs> it's been 30 seconds. You haven't taken me anywhere. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get a centaur ride. So there's like the hooded figure drinking from the unicorn. It's Quirrell, right? Demort. 
Quill de Mort. And in the book, he's crawling. And we, our commentary on that was weird. Why are you doing that? And then in the film, he's gliding, which also is like just not the right way for a human to move their body. I was thinking of the mechanics of what it would look like under the cloak where he's in like a hang gliding position, just like. Oh, for those who haven't seen it, it's an awkward glide. Like, it's very obvious it's, that they it's have like, him um, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's basically like under the cloak, there is like a figure on wheels and someone just like pushed it out onto stage. Dude, it's just like, I think, I think it's just bad wiring. I think literally they were like, hey, didn't you do like a, didn't you do like a theater project in like high school? And they're like, yeah, Peter Pan. And they're like, that. let's do that. And I know later Voldemort can fly in later films, but it's like a big fucking deal. They're like, oh shit, he learned how to fly. And like, I don't think that would be a power that he at this point could pass on to Coral. Okay, so the centaur and then Hagrid appears and everything's fine and detention is over. And then, and now it's just time to go into the trap door. When they get back to the common room after they've been in the woods, there's this amazing costuming moment where you're panning between the three of them talking about the fact that it was it was Voldemort in the woods, right? Harry has an untied tie around his neck. Ron has no tie on at all anymore. And Hermione still has her school uniform tie completely tied up and like buttoned. It's like they're all in uniform and their level of commitment to tie is so yeah. indicative of their three characters and i just loved that little moment that's a great detail when they re- they have the epiphany and they like go to mcgonagall and mcgonagall's like i'm too busy for your bullshit right now and then they f- they run into snape and snape is like people will think you're up to something thank you for like, letting me get that <laughs> that was um, the exact right amount of pause <laughs> i think that's like for sure legitimate like in action Mm -hmm, he's like i can hear through your brain that you're up to something then we hit get neville and then they go and the whole gambit just gets like a plus 10 drama upgrade fluffy wakes up also in the books when they drop onto the devil's snare hermione just like strategically rolls and is like standing there the whole time the whole it's i in my notes i called it a fiasco (laughs) Uh, oh my god ron gets robbed of his smart he does not get that much smart and Hermione steals every fucking smart from him. I just, I hate it so much. And she is, has a bitchy, bitchy look on her face while she's doing it. She's like, oh, you guys are so stupid. You pay attention to her apology. So the question is then, <laughs> is, is Hermione in the movie very much like Hermione in the book in the sense that like, because J.K. Rowling doesn't do a good job, especially in the first few books, fleshing out female characters, that were kind of left with kind of shitty female characters in the movie. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, so the, the way that I rationalized this was that they took away Hermione's potion riddling, yeah. basically. She had to be, so they had to give her something. Yeah. They had to give her something. Cause Ron has the chest and then Harry has the key. So yeah, but like, that's I the mean, only scene in the movie. They give Ron anything. Yeah, they don't. They don't give him anything. Everybody else right gets that. Mul- multiple scenes to have something. Oh, sorry, the the troll. He like knocks the troll out. My bad. My but bad. that is uh, under Hermione's instruction. Yeah. So yeah. that's like it's the just, only real scene. It's just so. It's just sad how much they make him a joke. 
this character can be funny and like ha- and and be like a little stupid like without being a fucking joke. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. You so just described a three dimensional character. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So they go through the keys. They the keys they, attack him, which well, is new. They attack. Well, in his in their defense, he activates them by saying it's too simple. <laughs> In the book, all three of them get broomsticks, right? Yeah, it's teamwork status. And then and this one, it's like, nope, just the one. Just we, know who's, we know who's handling this one. Yeah. So, and then they get through to the chess set. The chess set, whether or not it is acceptable transfiguration, um, it is very cool looking. Drama. We end it with the most condescending speech. I hated Hermione's speech. They're like, me books and cleverness it's They're just so much things yeah it's so like, much better in the book like really it's really organic in the book yeah we get this really obnoxious speech because in the books it's this really sweet moment of her being like hey dude like you can do this like we're all strong we're all smart like you have things about you that make this work and instead it's him being like well i can't do anything without you you're the only person who thinks and she's yeah. like, that's very true, but who knows? You might get lucky. Bravery is good, too. Yo, yeah. but I think that just goes back to what I said earlier. Like, the director of Columbus, he, he does a bad job with child-on-child scenes and really getting the best out of those actors. And you can definitely see that as they're going through, like, the, the different chambers and different challenges. I've always really hated the acting in this scene. Um, to- like, totally. And then, and like, Ron kind of robs some of Hermione's speech from her. Again, instead of Harry and Hermione having this moment, like, Ron's just in there. He is the third wheel until book <laughs> six when <laughs> when they decide they're in love. So, just really bad. Ron decides that he needs to get got, um, and then he gets, like, murdered. Like, why? Why? <laughs> why does he jump off? Why does he jump off the horse? I don't know. Okay. Well, great. It's very, it's very dramatic. It feels like it should not be that dramatic, but it is. At least it's a good thing that they had him on a horse, because otherwise, what would the queen fucking stab? If it was yeah. Hermione or Harry, there'd be nothing else. That's true. That's a good point. I hope they would just get a nice bitch slap instead of um, the full stab treatment. Yeah. Hermione, I guess, for one second, doesn't get the smart. And because her only character trait so far is that she is the smart, it's really shocking that she almost walks right off her square. It definitely reads as like, oh, wait, Harry has to be in charge. Tell that bitch to get back on her square. (laughs) I just hate it. I hate everything about this scene. And then my next note is Hermione's hair is distressed in all (laughs) capitals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is a very distressed um and then so then she gives like the second half of her speech because ron already gave the first half of her speech and it's very level and measured because these kids aren't good at acting we already mentioned and they she doesn't like hug harry it just it loses everything it loses all meaning then we there's no potions troll harry goes on alone because hermione needs to stay and take care of little one one so so he walks right from the chess chamber into the final chamber of secrets if you would (laughs) (laughs) don't you confuse more (laughs) um there's like a dramatic descent into the chamber well it's it's called a fucking chamber (laughs) um he like walks down the stairs like fire erupts on every side 
This scene is a mess. The whole, like, second half of this movie is a goddamn mess. Well, and you know what? The first half wasn't much better. (laughs) Harry doesn't figure out the mirror like he does in the books. He's just, like, bewildered the whole time. Um, You don't get no smart even when Hermione is not here to take it from him. (laughs) Right. He literally is just a thing. He is an object that things are happening to. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad character development. You know, Quirrell's, like, monologuing isn't even that interesting because we don't get any of this really fascinating and central discussion around power, around why Voldemort appeals to people, around how Quirrell ended up in this situation. It's just like, no, I'm secretly evil. Yeah, Yeah. evil. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) When I... When I remember reading the book and even now rereading the book, what I imagined, especially since Voldemort's like on the back of Coral's head, I imagined it being this very horrifying scene because I imagined that he possesses Coral's body in an inhuman way. And so Coral's body moves backwards, but they don't do that in the movie. And it's just him talking back through a mirror. And you're just kind of like, this is a weird conversation, bro. Like... It's just, yeah. I don't know. It, it takes away the, the horror, like the scary kind of like, oh man, like this is not, even even in a magical way, this is unnatural. Things shouldn't be like this. Yeah, definitely. Visually in the films, I did realize that Quirrell had to be bald so that hair didn't get in Voldemort's eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, just fun fact, Voldemort has a nose in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To smell how bad he smells. As you'll remember, the turban smells bad. That's the stench of evil. When Quirrell takes his turban off, Voldemort kind of manifests over a couple seconds. He is not always there. Um, We were wondering that when we were reading the book, if he can, like, go away, kind of, or if he, like, always has to be back there. And I think that the movie at least makes it clear that Voldemort is not always, like, fully right there. They talk about, like, in the book, in the movie, they talk about unicorn blood and how he has to drink unicorn blood because his life force is draining. Maybe one of the reasons why Harry doesn't always sense Voldemort is because literally there isn't really Voldemort there. And, like, maybe that's why in this scene he can because he's re-energized. He just sucked, he just sucked unicorn blood before going in. Maybe his, like, totally OP status is, like, why Coral keeps flying at the end, because he also flies in this scene, and it's like, he's just not supposed to fly. But maybe Voldemort's like, I can't even keep it inside. I'm so happy to have you unicorn know, blood. I really think it just goes back to, like, they had they had the rigging in the, in the studio, and they were like, look, we, we, rig- <laughs> we rented these wires. We're going to use these wires, or we're not, okay? So we're going to get our damnedest out of this. Voldemort like teases Harry with like we can bring your parents back if we use this stone I don't think he goes that far in the books in the books I really got the feeling that Harry was like I'll never go to the dark side and I was like who like no one invited you but like it it feels forced like why are you saying that yeah but in the book Voldemort is like come with me give me the stone we'll bring your parents back and so it makes a little bit more sense Mm mm-hmm We end up at the most inconsistent murder scene ever. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Murder. Touching Harry's Harry's neck doesn't do shit. Harry's hands are more magic than the rest of him. It's an even worse explanation than love (laughs) magic is to begin with. It's like, okay, ouchie burn. And then Harry just like grabs his face. Motherfucker dissolves into ash in front of him. And Harry doesn't process the fact that he just killed a man at all. Yeah, so, literally, so the- literally, Quirrell goes down like you're crumbling feta over a salad. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's that's something like that like Harry at no point in time screams, cries, pukes, like shits himself. He's just like <laughs> all the things you would do if you've murdered a person. Yeah. Well, if you're gonna kill somebody, these are usually the things that happen to you. So like it's just no, it's like natural, it's like natural bodily science. Like anybody who's been in combat or in any kind of shooting, usually something that happens is as a fight or flight response, you usually empty your stomach or your bowels out of mm-hmm. just adrenaline rush. Harry just kind of does it and he's just like, wow, that's weird. I like, think it's just because he's fucking dumb, dude. Even Whoa. more psychotic than him just not processing it. He then just was like, oh, okay, he's dead. Pulls the sorcerer's stone out of his pocket and stares at it smiling like a fucking weirdo. So then Voldemort's spirit manifests as a cloud and knocks Harry unconscious. Could you imagine though, like after all this happens, like Professor Dumbledore sits him down and is like, it's a real shame because Professor Quirrell was actually being held hostage and had no control of his things. And Harry's just like, the motherfucker had it coming. The greater good. (laughs) Like the greater good. I think the thing is, is like they didn't have to have Quirrell die. He doesn't die in the books. He does die, I think, but like he not dies, at Harry's like, hands. Yeah, Harry fully kills an eleven-year-old. Fully kills this professor in this movie. But so the thing is, is like if you're gonna make that choice, if you're gonna make the choice to have this eleven-year-old boy witnessing a man dissolving in front of him via the touch of his hand, you have to deal with the implications and wider emotional trauma of that experience. Yeah. <laughs> And then we're in the hospital wing. Well, one thing that we don't get from the verbatim, and this is what I'm saying, is like I don't think they realized what Snape would do, is we don't get any of the introduction to the complicated Snape and James relationship. They, they definitely had no idea what was going. I think that's why they made such oversight. And yeah, definitely the whole Snape thing. You, they had no idea how to play him, which maybe made for better filmmaking because we get Harry's perspective of ne- not having anyone know that he's going to become a good, quote, good guy who is only a stalker and a child abuser and just not also a racist. (laughs) Uh, You know, the crazy thing though is, is they had like, by all accounts, like reading in the backstory of the movie, JK Rowling was very involved for somebody who said they envisioned the end. I don't really think you knew the ending. Uh, Yeah. I I, I just don't because, because as you were like advising on this movie, you weren't like, nah, don't add that. Cause I'm working on something. I don't have it fleshed out, but I, that's just not going to play in. She was just like, no, it works, works well. Have Snape, uh, have Snape do that. And you're like, okay. Yeah. All right. So at the end here, we also, um, Hagrid doesn't come visit here in the hospital wing. Like he does in the books. Which is good. Cause we get the purest, the scrapbook becomes a pure gesture of love. We go to the feast. Oh man. Oh man, I this whole no thing is so. This whole section because I hate it so much. It's really bad. Okay, so then we Dumbledore does his speech. Well done, Slytherin. Well done, Slytherin. However, and Draco Malfoy has actual tears in his actual eyes, and like, God. And then the change of decor is so brutal. It's just yeah. like, well, fuck everything you guys did. The Gryffindors broke some rules, and it was cool. Yeah, really brutal. So, I hate so it. So I actually have this theory that Dumbledore is a Slytherin. Okay. Because yes. follow me on this one, especially if you go back to like his early years, he sought power, he sought knowledge. Maybe his intentions weren't necessarily bad, but he showed a lot of Slytherin like qualities. And I wonder 
if in a lot of ways the reason why he throws like mad shade to Slytherin is because he's like, as a famous Slytherin alumni myself, I can't be shown to be saying favorites. Uh, Gryffindor, Gryffindor, Gryffindor. Yeah. And like all the So like now makes, Gryffindor is my new house. <laughs> yeah, well that's but that also is why all the Slytherins get even more pissed off because they're like, bro. You were one of us. You're like mm-hmm. one of the most famous Slytherins. Well, McGonagall does the same shit. McGonagall was a Gryffindor and she's the head of Gryffindor house. And she, I think, goes harder on Gryffindor because she yeah. expects more from them. Slytherin house is like completely brutalized, like a Mortal Kombat level finishing move right here. <laughs> um, okay, so then it's time to go home. And then we get Hagrid and we get the album. Hagrid threatens Dudley right like he's like Dudley doesn't know that you can't do magic outside of school which I think is very nice because in the book it's the last sentence of the book is Harry being like I'm gonna fuck with Dudley which is like (laughs) that's not nice that is not like the takeaway from your year of school I really think that this this specific scene just goes way nicer in the movies because they're like how does it feel to be going home and Harry says I'm not going home not really and like damn that's beautiful like that's so beautiful yeah i totally agree yeah they definitely i feel like they definitely took away the same thing tina like the producers and the writers were all like "Ooh, uh, <laughs> let's end this on a more hopeful we've learned something and yes. we're moving forward not like yeah. a time to misuse my powers <laughs> um so then we like we don't have to go back to king's cross the, it, the movie ends there and then we get the theme one last time it starts out really Christmassy and then turns into like a really sweeping beautiful classic harry potter theme music as the credits roll well we made it guys my 11 wow. pages of notes so overall what do you guys think book movie which is better why I get why people don't read books. I don't relate, but I get it. And books I think that's stupid. The movies did like a good job of if if nothing else, like conveying the feeling of the books. Yeah, I agree. I mean, definitely obviously the book's gonna be better. I will always recommend the books, but I if anything, you just get to experience the world and you get to immerse yourself in it in a different way i i will always love the movies as well as the books so i think it is hard especially these days to participate in the harry potter fandom without having a familiarity of the movies yeah i guess i like the move this movie a little bit better than the book to be honest because Hmm. i rewatch this movie all the time this is my first time ever rereading the book right i like the characters in the books better for the most part except for i vastly prefer movie hagrid i prefer the adults in the movies and the kids in the books if i could 50 50 um, split those elements i'd I be fine completely agree and i wonder if it's because of the acting because i think by the time we get to the later movies i don't feel the same way i think that by the time we get there the, the kids are really holding their own i think yeah. it is the acting there's just no way you can really be convinced by an 11 year old actor <laughs> Not me, not Hermione, you. You. I remember thinking, wow, it's really ambitious that they're going to try to do a movie almost every single year. So I think especially this first movie, they started production of it in 2000. They released it for Christmas 2001. And I think it kind of shows they moved really fast for this movie, like set up, acting, everything, because they were like, we got to hit this. This is hot. Like this, this is it." it. It was hot, 
they needed to catch the wave and also they could not risk the actors aging too quickly oh yeah no mm-hmm. no no they they had to move so quickly on it but it, it's just terribly interesting in the, in that regard so i don't like the movie but i agree with grace it's so it's kind of like fleshes things out and it's its own experience that is so part of harry potter fandom and lore I like now I feel like a better fan. I feel like a way better fan because I'm experiencing these movies, Aww. which I should have done from the beginning. And you are a better fan. And I, I am excited to for you to like continue watching these movies as we read the books and like see how your opinion changes as the movies yeah, go on. All right. Are you guys ready to get into some plugs? Oh yes. So once again, I am Brooke. You can follow me on Instagram at Passion for Parks. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Grumpy Brook. Um, and if you're looking for something interesting to do in your lockdown, I highly recommend. Um, so 305 Fitness has an amazing YouTube channel. It's like Zumba for adults. They have a great mix of music and they have uh, really diverse instructors. There's uh, one of their instructors. Her name is Anna Clark. She does a free toning workshop on Saturdays. And for the past month, she has been having people donate what they would usually pay for the class to different racial justice charity organizations. And I love her so much. Her energy is great. It's a great workout. And then on top of it, you can do some good in the world. Nice. This week, I'm going to plug uh, a Facebook group that my twin brother created a couple weeks into the COVID lockdown. Um, he created like a food group. Um, it's called uh, Let Us Turnip the Beat. Oh my God. Yeah. And so um, it's just like a place for people to get together and share recipes and post pictures of food and like enter any general, you know, uplifting food related things. So if, you know, you're looking for some inspirational meals or anything like that uh it's a pretty cool little group so get in there get on that that is so wholesome yeah so you can find me at on instagram at weird cars rva if you're just looking for some just unique and interesting cars uh i just finished two books recently uh one was uh fahrenheit 451 i reread that really great book encourage anybody to reread that one and then uh, Jocko Willick's uh, lessons, uh, tactics and leadership lessons. Don't recommend that. Uh, really don't recommend that book. <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little too much of bro vet culture for me and my tastes. So stick with the uh, stick with the classic uh, dystopian literature and dodge the whole like hua morale leadership BS. Um, that's all I got. It will. It would be. Ura, not Hua. Oh, okay, my bad. Because he's marine. All right. He no. just he just he, the whole book was lost on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm not. Lots I'm not that cool. So vague uh, military noises. Yeah, grunts, <laughs> grunts, and grunts and caveman. I sounds. do not speak that language. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah. So definitely, definitely go for the classic American literature and not the bullshit. Like, uh, you can do better. I don't know. don't believe in yourself believe in the destruction of society (laughs) amen sister so i'm your host christina and you can follow me on instagram at your girl of the world you can follow me on twitter at tina fontina all these social links are in the show notes um, as well as our plugs as a reminder and my boyfriend and i no my fiance and i wait 
we're getting married. Um, I know. So Sean and I are self-isolating in preparation for that so I can hug my grandma on my wedding day. And so we are just straight chilling at home and we're watching a shit ton of movies, ones that we've like missed throughout the years. And like somehow neither of us have ever seen any of the Die Hard movies. <laughs> so oh we have been watching the Die Hard movies and um, we've watched the first couple and <laughs> this is the stupidest plug I've ever done, but like they're really good and fun to watch. So if you like me have somehow managed to not watch the Die Hard movies, I can personally recommend um, one through three, and I will update you on the other two next week, perhaps. Die Hard taught me to be scared if someone has a German accent. Oh, yeah. And like yeah. speaking of Alan Rickman, yeah, that's the end of the sentence, just like speaking of him <laughs> in Die Hard. So just as a reminder to everyone, we love to hear from you. We're, we, the show, are on Instagram at Restricted Section Pod. We're on Twitter at Restricted Pod. You can find us at restrictedsectionpod.weebly.com. And you can also email us at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We love to hear your thoughts. Email us with recommendations or questions. Or if you want to come on the show, um, we're, we're starting to incorporate guests next season. Um, we are just really eager to nerd out with some new peeps. We're really excited to get into Chamber of Secrets. So just so everyone knows, next week we're going to be releasing a very special episode about, I'm tentatively calling it, title working title, J.K. Rowling is Cancelled. We're going to be speaking, um, Haley and Mary Payton and I are going to be speaking with a special guest about, you know, J.K. Rowling's recent tweets and why I keep yelling the word cancel over her name every time we say her name. The episode after that is going to be a Sorcerer's Stone trivia. And then after that, I think the second week of July, we're going to get into the Chamber of Secrets. So we're really excited. Um, we've made a lot of cool new improvements that we are just, we're just going to get into it. We're going to dive right into the Chamber of Secrets, which we did not go to during this book, just to make it very clear for those who are confused. Thank you so much. <laughs> so thanks for chatting with me today, guys. Um, get the fuck out of my closet. Or maybe I'll get the fuck out of my closet. The Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Khan, based on the book series by oh, J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Khan. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Restricted Section Pod or shoot us an email at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. If, like, a faculty member at your high school was smuggling illegal things through their classroom, they would still be held accountable for bringing those things into an institution that's responsible for minors. I thought that that's just how high schools worked. Did your gym teacher not sell weed? Yeah, did your, did your biology teacher not do <laughs> math? I don't know about those things.